Hello, everyone. You are listening to CCG Global Dialogue podcast with Dr. Henry Wang Huiyao, founder and president of the Center for China and Globalization. Good evening and good morning, uh, the uh, everyone. Welcome to uh, CCG uh, Multimedia Center. That uh, also thank you for being with us uh, for this dialogue with uh, Tom Friedman. And also presented by uh, Center for China and Globalization. So it's really a great uh, uh, honor for me to uh, welcome uh, Thomas Friedman, but also uh, to welcome all of you to be here uh, to watch us or listen to us tonight. As we all know, that uh, uh, Tom is a, is a renowned uh, uh, international uh, uh, journalist with the New York Times. So uh, we're very honored and pleased to have him with us here tonight. And uh, also, he's uh, he has written several books, uh, seven books actually, and uh, all New York bestsellers, uh, including From Beirut to Jerusalem, The Lexis and the Oliver Tree, Longitudes and the Attitudes, The World is Flat, and Hot, Flat and Crowded, and most recently, thank you for being late. I mean, actually, uh, I remember in uh, 2017, uh, Tom actually come to. CCG actually did a great uh, uh, talk on, on, on his latest book, uh, which is uh, draw the large crowds from, from China. Um, of course, he's also a world-renowned reporter, and he's a weekly colonist, colonist for the New York Times and, and, the, and the recipient of the three Pulitzer Prizes. So uh, actually from technology to environment, from Middle East uh, to uh, China, <laughs> US relations, uh, Tom actually wrote many uh, very uh, uh, influential and uh, impactful uh, uh, columns that we've been uh, keep reading from time to time. Uh, I know Tom is also a, a great friend uh, of China, and uh, he, uh, I actually personally also a great friend of mine as well. I know uh, Tom, of course, through his book, but uh, but of course uh, we we actually met first time. Uh, when I was a visiting fellow at Bookings uh, in 2010, <laughs> you came to uh, one of our uh, discussion then, uh, presentation it was really uh, impressive. I, I visited your office uh, with Dr. Miao and uh, you had a very large uh, uh, office in the downtown uh, DC. So, so it's really uh, uh, many times uh, we have seen you in China. Uh, your book about uh, the world is flat actually has been uh, recommended by, I, I remember then, uh, uh, party secretary uh, of Wang Yang in Chongqing, and is, is one of the best seller in China. But I also am I'm quite impressed actually in uh, uh, 2012, on October 2012, uh, you wrote a, a column called uh, China Needs Its Own Dream, <laughs> actually ahead of the 80s Party Congress uh, to propose that. So, so it's uh, uh, fascinating to, to see how you follow uh, China closely. And, and also, you know that we are now in a very uh, 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 turbulent time. We have a pandemic uh, swept over the world. We have the globalization, uh, deglobalization, and uh, we have, uh, of course, the biggest uh, economy, U.S. And, and, and China now in the really in the, in the hot uh, positions. And uh, also, we we actually uh, now trying to sort out what what's next. Uh, so I remember well last November, actually you attended uh, one of our uh, uh, webinars in, in Beijing at the uh, uh, Center for China and Globalization Forum, uh, which talked about uh, things, but the time at that time is very limited. And I also saw you on the, 
uh, attended the China Development Forum. You had a, a five-minute talk there also. So tonight, we actually have, have, have a, a quite a bit more time. We would like to uh, have an in-depth uh, discussion with you about your, your views and exchanges. So this section is a part of a CCG uh, China and World Webinar series that we're actually launching in 2020 uh, in efforts to engage eminent scholars, uh, uh, experts, government advisors, advocates, scholars, business leaders to talk about uh, uh, China and the globalization and also the trend, the, the development and the challenges ahead. Uh, so uh, perhaps, uh, Tom, you, you would like to have a little opening up, uh, uh, say hi to our audience, and, and then we will follow up on, into the uh, question and, and discussions. Well, Henry, thank you very much for having me. I, I have uh, so many fond memories of uh, visiting the, um, your center in, in Beijing, uh, giving book talks there, and, uh, and hosting you in my office. We always have uh, free and frank discussions. Uh, from which I, I, uh, I learn and, and, and benefit. And uh, I'm looking forward to being with you today and engaging uh, with your broader audience in China. Thank you, Tom. And uh, so, so um, uh, Tom, as, as you, you, you're famous, I think you're very, uh, you know, become icon actually of the globalization, actually a symbol of the globalization because your, your, your famous book, uh, The World is Flat, is, uh, is basically a, a very long time best-selling best -selling author. <laughs> Uh, in China and also uh, best-selling books in China has actually influenced uh, influenced many people. Uh, but of course, uh, that in that book you talked about uh, you know the uh, uh, globalization. Uh, you divide into three phases of the of course the uh, the I mean uh, the the country uh, uh, on on that and then the company on on, on that and the individuals. So from countries, of course, thousands of years, uh, uh, you know, compete and and making the world flat. And then the companies basically. Uh, has great roles to play. And now, you know, uh, year 2000 with the internet revolution, we have this individual. Uh, so, but, but today we also see the globalization now gets more, uh, uh, more challenges now. We have a, a lot of deglobalization going on. We have a populism, we have uh, uh, all those things. So, so what, 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 what's your take now on the globalization? Uh, you know, uh, uh, globalization point four or globalization a new version, or how are we going to, uh, uh, you know, take a look on this new trend that uh, globalization lead us? Well, it's a good place for us to start, Henry. You know, um, whenever I do webinars like this, often the first question people have is, is the world still flat? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I always start to laugh a little because I say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm sitting in my office in Bethesda, Maryland. My, my friend Henry's sitting in his office in Beijing, and we're having a conversation as two individuals as if we were sitting across the desk from each other. Is the world still flat? Are you crazy? It's like flatter than ever. You know, Henry, I'll always remember when I wrote The World is Flat, 2004, basically, mm -hmm. when I wrote that book, um, Facebook didn't exist. Twitter was still a sound. The cloud was still in the sky. Yes. 4G was like a parking place. Uh, LinkedIn was a prison. Applications were what you sent to college. Big data was a rap star. And Skype was a typo, a typographical error. All of those things, Henry, came after I wrote The World is Flat. 
So the world today actually is flatter than ever. We have never connected more different nodes than we have today. And we've never greased the connection, sped up the connection between those nodes more than we have today. But we've also done a third thing. We've actually removed a lot of the buffers that manage the flow between those nodes. So think of this, Henry, between December 2019 and March 2020, just as coronavirus was emerging, there were 3,200 direct flights from China to America. 3,200. There were 50 direct flights from Wuhan to America. Most Americans had never even heard of Wuhan. So think about what's going on in the Suez Canal today. There's a ship stuck in the Suez Canal. And there is some company in Europe or maybe in China or maybe a company in Europe waiting for its supply from China because of just-in-time inventory delivery. You know? um, but when we, when we take the buffers out, um, uh, the system just gets faster and faster. And so um, the world isn't just flat now, Henry. It's fragile. It's fragile because when you connect so many nodes, and then you speed up the connection between those nodes, but you take the buffers out, you get, um, uh, you get fragility because now I can transmit instability from my node to your node faster than ever. So yes, globalization, you know, ever since I, when I wrote The World is Flat, Henry, many people wrote books, oh, it's not flat, it's spiky, it's lumpy, it's curved, it's bumpy. All those books are wrong, okay? The world is flatter than ever. Great, uh, 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 Tom, I think that, that's absolutely uh, the correct. I think the, uh, the globalization is, uh, is uh, accelerating actually to some extent with the technology, with the, uh, 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 all the speed that, uh, uh, you know, that we are involved in on that. And, uh, uh, but, but also the, 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 the movement of the capital, the movement of the uh, goods and the movement of the uh, uh, talent, uh, all those things has been actually become the, uh, you know, uh, heavier and faster than before. And uh, so, so what do you think about the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the future trend? Are we, are we looking at some new uh, development trend? Of course, we, 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 we see, uh, we've seen the, uh, the, the flow of, uh, of, uh, of uh, all those things, but digital economy, right? I mean, is, is, is coming up. And, uh, and also, uh, as you said, uh, you know, between uh, uh, there's a public uh, 20,000 people, you know, across Pacific between China and the US during the, before the pandemic times. And uh, so we have, uh, we have uh, 400,000 students, Chinese students in the US and used to have a 3 million uh, tours. Be probably before the year 20,000, you know, China ha has a much uh, tourist uh, uh, about, but then uh, before the pandemic, China has about uh, 150 million outbound tourists. So, so 10 million people go to Japan and another 10 million go to Thailand and 3 million went to US. So, so, so what, what, what are, are we seeing in the future then? Yeah. So the book I'm working on now, Henry, um, if, if, if I gave it a name and it doesn't have a name yet, is that the world is not just flat anymore. Mm -hmm. The world is now fast, 
fused, deep, and open. So let's let's go through all four of those. Um, so when I say the world is fast now, what I mean is that there's been a change in the pace of change. So the speed of technological change now just gets faster and faster and faster as microchips improve and telecommunications improve. So the world is really getting fast. Second, the world isn't just flat now, Henry, it's fused. So we're not just interconnected. We're now interdependent. A ship gets stuck in the Suez Canal and something that Tom is waiting for in Bethesda and that Henry's waiting for in Beijing are both affected. So we're not just connected, we're fused together, okay? We're also fused together by climate, okay? What America does with its air affects Canada. What China does with its air can affect uh, you know, Thailand. What Australia does with its forest fires affects New Zealand. So we're fused by technology and by climate. Third, the world's gotten deep, deep. Deep is the most important word of this era. Because what we've done now, Henry, is we've put sensors everywhere. So, you know, for many years, for millennia, Henry, the world has been speaking to us, but we just couldn't hear it. We couldn't hear it. So IBM did a study a few years ago. They took a lake in New York state and they put sensors from the surface all the way to the bottom and from one edge to the other. Suddenly a lake that was just there is beautiful. We drove by it. Suddenly the lake started to speak, started to tell what was going on at the bottom, at the middle, at the next level with fish, with fauna, with all kinds of things. Well, imagine now our knowledge of that is deep. It's very deep. And that's why this word deep, we had to coin a new adjective, deep state, deep mind, deep medicine, deep research, deep fake, to describe the fact that oh, this is going deep inside of me. I can sit here in Bethesda right now in Washington, and I can look at publicly available satellite pictures of different parts of China from Google Earth from the European space satellite. I can, I can look deep. I, I could probably find your office, Henry, and see if you're coming to work. I can do that as an individual. Little Tom Friedman can now go onto Google Earth and see Henry's office. But I can also see into Xinjiang. And China can see into Minneapolis, my hometown. So the world's getting deep. Um, and lastly, it's getting radically open, radically open. So with this, Henry, every mm -hmm. citizen is now a paparazzi, a filmmaker, a journalist, a publisher, with no editor, mm -hmm. no filter. And with this, a citizen in my hometown in Minneapolis took a picture of a policeman 
with the knee on the neck of a man named George Floyd. One person did that with this thing, with this device. And George Floyd became a name that went all over the world. People in China know the name George Floyd because an individual with this in an open world was able to tell that story. Same is true from China. We saw that in Hong Kong. We've seen it in other areas. So the world is getting fast, fused, deep, and open. And that is the central governing challenge today. How do you govern a world that's that fast, fused, deep, and open? That is our challenge. Yes, uh, uh, great, uh, uh, Tom. I, I think that uh, you, you, you are now thinking something deeper and uh, uh, open and, uh, and fast. And uh, that's probably the, the new trend you've been catching that for the, for the, for the next phase of globalization. I think it's, uh, it's no longer just fact, but flat, but we have um, many more layers on that now, which is a great. I, I think that you, you pose a, a very profound uh, uh, question is that, uh, uh, you know, with the world fast changing, I mean, the, 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 the system that we've been built up been based on the uh, past centuries or even based on the uh, Britain Wood system that uh, uh, built up after Second World War. Uh, are we you know, enough to equip with, uh, with the, uh, cope with this, uh, all those new challenges now? I mean, the world is really getting so fascinating and so changeable and, uh, and the, the system needs to, uh, how to how to react, and of course uh, we we seen this uh, this pandemic, which uh, has a huge casualties on on the on the on the on the, on the world. Now we we had uh, you know first world war, we had the second world war, and after second world war we have this new system, uh, uh, you know, build up. Now we have this pandemic, uh, which I think poses enormous challenge for us for for how to respect nature. Uh, are we going to have um, uh, more buffers, as you said in our last time uh, in our uh, uh, November conference? So, so, so you, you know, we had, you, you know, I, I know that you you studied the financial crisis on that. We studied, uh, you know, uh, SARS, and now we have this COVID. So, what, what's next? I mean, if we do not respect climate, so I'm glad to see that President Biden now uh, comes up. The first bill he signed, his order he signs to. Uh, to you know, uh, come back to the Paris uh, Climate Change Accord, and uh, and you actually interviewed President Biden uh, uh, before he took office. So, so what do you think about these uh, new buffers that actually we're trying to build, and or maybe uh, trying to uh, are we losing that because of the global governance is falling behind now? Well, when the world gets this fast fused, deep and open, Henry, there's only one way to govern it effectively. Both at the national level, the local level, and the international level. And that's with what I call complex adaptive coalitions. Complex adaptive coalitions. So I take that term actually from nature. See, I think a fast fused, deep and open world, is like a big climate change. The world's going through a big change in our climate, not just the climate of the climate, but the climate of everything, of technology, of globalization, et cetera. And in nature, when an ecosystem goes through a climate change, which ecosystems thrive, survive? Those that have complex adaptive networks, okay? 
where all the parts of the system network together to maximize their resilience and their propulsion, their ability to go forward. Well, it's, it's true of the world as well. When the world gets this fast fused deep and open, the only way we can govern it effectively is with global complex adaptive coalitions. Who can manage China, climate change? Unless America, China, and Europe in particular, and India and Japan and Korea, the big economies are all working together. It's impossible. Who can manage global trade now? unless all the big economies are working together. So it's only complex adaptive coalitions that can effectively get the best out of this world and cushion, cushion us from the worst. The problem, Henry, is that right when that is the need, complex adaptive coalitions, governments are becoming more nationalistic China's government's becoming more nationalistic. Under President Trump, America became more nationalistic. Russia, more nationalistic. Britain, Brexit, more nationalistic. So countries are becoming more nationalistic right when we need global coalitions more than ever. And even inside countries, companies, political parties are becoming more tribal, more tribal right when they need to be more open and collaborative. So the world is fighting with this trend. Yes, I, I, I think you're right. I think the, the, it looks like the, the global governance is really lags behind global, global practice or globalization. Yeah, uh, the, the, problem is, the problem, Henry, is that there's a whole set of issues now that can only be managed effectively with global governance with global mm -hmm. governance, cyber, financial flows, trade, climate, labor flows. They require global governance, but there's no global government. So mm -hmm. what, what do we do when we need global governance, but there is no global government? Okay, we, we have this problem. And when US, China, the two biggest countries, then start fighting in the middle, it, the situation gets, even worse, basically. Exactly. I think that's really a challenge facing all of us. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, you're right. You know, the global governance is, is lacking uh, because, uh, because there's no global government. Yeah. And the UN probably is not uh, sufficient now because we see, you know, these, uh, the Second World War, we had this uh, uh, Britain Wood system, you had, the, you had the United Nations, World Bank, and uh, IMF. WTO and China is one of the first signatory to the UN Charter and things like that. That carried us for 75 years, but 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 it's not sufficient now. Particularly with the the globalization, you know, as you just said, you know, uh, getting so fast paced. Uh, one of the reasons I'm thinking is that, uh, you know, I think China in this globalization, of course, since China, you know, this this year is also the uh, Nixon uh, uh, Kissinger visit China 50 years uh, when China U.S. normalized the relation. But it was also China joined WTO for 20 years, whereas China's GDP had really gone up uh, 10, 12 times. Uh, but then, you know, China has been able to, uh, you know, uh, uh, prosper. You know, China embraced globalization and China lifted 800 million people out of poverty and things like that. But China also uh, uh, has, has, has a lot of to, to be blamed by, by Western countries. 
One one of the reasons I'm, I'm thinking though is that uh, I I read I read one of your uh, you know uh, on the January 26th uh, call on the New York Times is that uh, uh, made in the U.S. Uh, socialism for the rich and capitalism for the rest. Basically, I I I, I saw you have uh, mentioned a number there, which is also a surprise to me is that the American rich is 10%, who owns more than 80% of the stock have seen their wealth more than tripled in 30 years, while the bottom 50 wage earners had zero gains. Uh, so, so, so that, 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 you know, so of course China has been able to export and uh, do that, but also capital inflation low in the US. But, but could, could there be some also, you know, every country has its own problem too. China also has to tackle its own problem. But would, particularly the Trump era, I mean, <laughs> they blamed everything on China. Uh, for, for this uh, widening gap. Whereas China actually managed to lift the 800 million people out of poverty is really to avoid extreme uh, poverty. So, uh, so maybe, you're right, you know, we, have, we need to have some global uh, consensus or have, have some global new narratives on that. What, what do you think of those? Yeah, look, US-China relations, let's talk about that a little bit because it's, it's gotten very complicated. Um, mm -hmm. I'll just give you my view of that, and, we'll, we, and it's related to your question. Because you mentioned the anniversary. And so um, uh, the point I made, I made this at the CDF, um, Henry, is that I think the four decades of US-China relation, 1979 uh, to 2019, that will go down as an epoch, an epoch in US-China relations. And unfortunately, that epoch is over. So what was that epic about? That epic was a period of what I called unconscious integration. Unconscious integration. Unconscious, not because we weren't thinking about it, but because it was so easy. So easy in the sense I, as an American company, could say, I want to have a supply chain in China. It starts in China. It could happen. I, as an American parent, could say, I want my son or daughter to go to university in China, study Mandarin. Um, uh, I, as an employer, could say, I want to hire the best Chinese technologist or student who's living in America. And I could. On the Chinese side, any Chinese could say over time, you know, I want to have my company listed on the NASDAQ. I want to have an American partner. I want my kid to go to school in America. And over those 40 years, China and America became in some ways one country, two systems. Mm -hmm. It became the real one country, two systems. And we really, we really got fused together. Um, now, that era, unfortunately, Henry, is over. Why is it over? Well, I'm going to come back to the word deep. Because for most of those 30, 40, of those 40 years, say 30 of those 40 years, China sold us mostly shallow goods. Mm -hmm. shallow goods, goods we wore on our shoulders, shoes we wore on our feet, solar panels we put on our roof. I call those shallow goods. We sold China deep goods, deep goods, thing, computers, software, things that went inside the CCG, right in your office, American computers, software, right in Henry's office, right in his home, maybe in his phone. Yeah. We sold you deep things, you sold us shallow things for the most part, okay? And um, 
when China sold us only shallow things, politically speaking, we didn't care whether China was authoritarian, communist, libertarian, or vegetarian. It didn't matter because you were just selling us shallow goods. But when China, by its own development, its own technological development, over the last 10 years has been able to make deep goods. Huawei 5G, very deep goods. And now they've come to America and said, we want to sell you our deep goods, just like you sold us your deep goods. We want to sell Tom Friedman Huawei that will go in his house and answer his telephone, okay? Yeah. And, uh, and what we said was, whoa, 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 wait a minute. When you were just selling us shallow goods, we didn't care about your political system. But if you want to sell me deep goods here in Bethesda, if you want Huawei to answer my phone, okay, then suddenly the difference in values, the difference in values matters. And that's where the absence of trust, the absence of shared trust between our two countries now really matters. China, central value, the stability of the collective, okay? So if the collective is advancing, if more people are coming out of poverty, that is a central Chinese value. Um, and it, it values that more than Uyghur nationalism in Xinjiang, and it values that more than letting one or two people, Jack Ma, get super rich, okay? Its focus has always been on the collective and stability because you're 1.4 billion people. In America, our value is the individual. We, we put much more primacy on the individual, the right of the individual to express themselves, uh, the right of the individual to start a company, the right, the right of the individual to thrive and do better or worse, okay? So the, and, and, and when it's the right of the individual, then it's the primacy of human rights and individual rights. So suddenly Americans in a deep world can look into Google Earth and see uh, what, what looked like labor camps in Xinjiang and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can see deep inside of you now how you're treating your Muslim population, that bothers me. And China can say, wait a minute, I'm looking at what's going on in Minnesota, Minneapolis, how, how you have large numbers of poor people. Uh, maybe that bothers me too, okay? Uh, and suddenly our difference in values, um, we can look inside Hong Kong. We can see from my office, I can see if, China's not living up to its obligations to allow more democracy in Hong Kong. So now we're having a clash, Henry, on values in a way we didn't during that 40 year epoch. And that's, it's going to be a problem because yeah. our difference in values is, um, is really now making it very, very complicated. And because China is wealthier now, and more powerful, it's also able to assert itself, its values at home and abroad uh, more uh, powerfully. And so 
we have a lot of work to do. the big question is can we get back to a joint project a shared project because the relative peace and prosperity of the world for those 40 years 1979 to 2019 the relative peace and prosperity of the world at the core of it was us china relations that us chinese one country, two systems. Mm -hmm. If we rip that apart now, the world will not be as prosperous and it will not be as peaceful. And when it's getting fast fused deep and open, it won't be governed the way it needs to be. So we need to have, we need to have some very deep conversations. China needs to understand in a deep world, I can see inside Xinjiang, and if I think that there's forced labor there, I may boycott your 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 cotton, okay? Mm -hmm. And Americans need Americans need to understand that uh, a country of 1.4 billion people needs to maintain stability, okay? That's a high priority, um, and that it's going to come at this in a different way. We have to have an honest conversation with each other. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, I agree, uh, the, 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 Tom. That we really need a, a deep a dialogue on that. That's uh, that exactly. Uh, you know, the purpose of this as well. What, yeah. what I think, you, you know, uh, you're right. We we have to look at value, of course. Uh, but also, should we, um, you know, have this uh, have some new narrative? Because I think what what China has been doing for the last, uh, you know, forty years, opening up or. or uh, China has transformed enormously beyond the uh, uh, recognition. And any, any foreigners who come to China who, who had, you know, 30, 40 years ago would recognize the changes, particularly China now, uh, this year, actually, uh, the government has announced they have lifted 800 million people out of poverty. Uh, they have finished uh, the 13th five years plan. Now they have first finished the first centennial plan, which now be, become a, a, you know, prosper world to do society now, but they are launching to a next uh, 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 you know, 14 years, five years plan, and also uh, by 2035, China is going to double its GDP. So they have been working one five-year plan after a five-year plan. So I, I remember, you know, the, the former U.S. ambassador to China, uh, Terry Bernstein, he, he invited us, you know, to his farewell uh, cocktail, where he said, you know, uh, he really uh, think that China, the success of China, uh, attribute to three factors, or, or uh, that one is that, uh, the Chinese are really uh, hardworking because anytime you come to China, you know it's uh, uh, you know it's not you're not seven twenty four it's probably nine nine six you know there's a lot of you working very hard, and uh, and also uh, second is he think China has great importance to the family values, uh, you know they, they have really uh, respect seniors collect collectivism, and thirdly is the education. China, you know, I mean, they had one generation, several generations of one child, a whole family support that. So the success of China is, uh, is not really, uh, uh, as American public understand, oh, it's, it's a purely uh, a traditional old uh, orthodox, uh, you know, uh, uh, system, which I think China has a, has a system now, uh, a combined technology democracy, uh, combined market uh, economy democracy, and with uh, uh, meritocracy. So with 5,000 years history, culture, and it's, it has its own reason. And particularly China has, has delivered well on the performance. I think, as Deng Xiaoping said, you know, if it doesn't matter, white cat, black cat, as long as it catches mice. So if China can lift 800 million people out of poverty, 
and uh, also keep the least casualties of COVID-19. That's probably the biggest uh, human rights achievement that people you know, uh, can achieve in, in a Chinese uh, situation. And also, as you said, China has uh, 1.4 billion people. The stability is almost uh, always important. So, so if China can build two thirds of the world a fast train, if the China uh, keep uh, seven out of the 10 largest container reports in, in the world, if China can become the largest trading nation with 130 countries, uh, after all, China can contribute over one third of the global GDP growth. You know, I mean, some KPI, China is doing well, but, but you know, that value, maybe we should have a little bit more tolerance to a, a different uh, a system. Uh, like, like President Biden said, okay, he comes out and he says, oh, it's, we like to have a competition, even fierce competition, but we also can co co cooperate uh, as well. So uh, for Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi said at the NPC section, first time that, okay, we, we, have a, we can have a peaceful co competition too, and let's have a cooperation. So uh, should we be a bit more, uh, you know, uh, uh, treating each other as, as equal and not really evil uh, as a Soviet Union, Cold War kind of a mentality? So I think there's a lot of catch up uh, to do, you know. So, so, so that's probably uh, China, a lot of people in China think like that. So it's a very good point. You know, people ask me, they say, oh, you're going on a webinar in China. They must be censoring you. I said, no, I, I, I'll, I'll bring up Xinjiang. I'll bring up Hong Kong. Uh, nobody's going to censor me. Um, we're having actually, Henry, a very valuable dialogue. You're, you're giving me China's perspective. I'm giving you the concerns of America. We're actually having a respectful dialogue so important. But what worries me most right now is there's like three American journalists left in China. I mean, you know, China's basically thrown out almost all the Western journalists. Um, America has uh, asked uh, some Chinese journalists to leave too, not, not as many as China has. And so we're not having this very respectful dialogue. You've got your perspective. It's not illegitimate from my point of view. The, the points you raise about bringing people out of poverty and providing stability, that that's also affects the human condition. You know, very important, your perspective. You listen respectfully to my perspective when I raise questions about, you know, uh, how a, a whole culture is, is treated um, uh, in Xinjiang or democracy in Hong Kong. And then maybe you'll come back and say, well, Tom's got a point. And I come back and say, you know, Henry's got a point. Um, and, and we have this, we have a respectful dialogue. And then maybe I can say to you, you know, Henry, if, if you, if China did this on Hong Kong um, uh, or in Xinjiang, it would really help. And you could say, you know, Tom, if America did this on, you know, how you talk about China, how you treat China on the world stage, it would really help. And maybe then we start to take confidence building measures where each of us does something to lower the temperature. Unfortunately, what happened in Alaska was sort of mutual debate, name calling, you know, whatever, and it leaves everybody just feeling kind of raw and angry. So, so one, I just say I appreciate the respectful dialogue that you're hosting. You know, I, I wish uh, we could all, you know, we could broaden this, and because there are legitimate concerns America and the West has, and what I'm afraid of is this, those legitimate concerns we have aren't even listened to, okay? Then it's gonna end up in a, it, what I fear, uh, it, and I, I don't hope for this, but what I fear 
it will end up in something like a boycott of the 2022 Olympics. And then the whole relationship will blow up, okay? And that's why I think it's so important we have a dialogue where China says, I hear you, I will take this gesture. And America says, I hear you, I will take this gesture. And we, and we find ways to go together because Henry, in a, in a fused world, uh, my friend Graham Allison always says this, we now have mutual assured destruction. Yes. Mutual assured destruction. We, the two of us, we can destroy each other. We can destroy the global economy. We can destroy the global climate. And so we are, we are doomed to work together. And what bothers me right now is that we're not having the kind of frank but respectful dialogue that we, that we need, and then walking away from that dialogue with a to-do list. Okay, I've heard what Tom says, you know, about um, uh, uh, the situation of the Uyghurs or, or Hong Kong. I, I don't agree with all of it, but I'm, I'm gonna try to work on something. And mm -hmm. I come away and say, you know, I hear what Henry's saying. This country brought 800 million people out of poverty. Do you know how much more stable the world is because China did that? Okay, that's also a huge thing. And that I'm gonna work on, on things that are your concern. We need to get back to that dialogue because I go back to my central point, Henry, the 40 years, 1979 to 2019, they will be seen as a golden era of global prosperity and peace, okay? Because of relative prosperity and relative peace. And at the core of it was US-China. If you rip out that core now, um, your diplomats, they may have a good day putting me down or putting America down. My diplomats, they may have one good day putting China down, okay? But the world will have a bad year after year after year if we don't find a way for US-China to work together. Yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the largest the two economy in the world, uh, uh, we're going, you know, we have a moral responsibility, I think, you know, the, you know moral <laughs> duties now to really, uh, you know, uh, work together, absolutely. So you're right. I, I think, you know, of course, I, I, I agree with you, you know, that the journalism should really be resumed. Yeah. Even, the, even the counselors should be resumed. You know, we should intensify the exchanges. I mean, a lot of the days, you know, we, we have more exchanges. Of course, I think even on that, you know, China has a 400,000 students in the U.S. The U.S. only have 10,000 in China. I hope that we can increase more uh, yeah. to attract U.S. students come to China. But you're right. I, I think the, there's there's more, maybe more, uh, you know, on the, on the social level, on the uh, civil society level, we can have more exchanges. Uh, even, you know, you talk about the issue of Xinjiang and, and Hong Kong, of course, and uh, because the, 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 the feeling here is that uh, we often hear the international uh, you know, people say, oh, here you have 1 million locked up, 2 million locked up, 3 million locked up. But I, we really don't know where that is coming from. I mean, where is the origin you know, citation or, or, or uh, statistic uh, uh, you know, <laughs> the calculation comes from? Or they say we have the satellite to calculate so many uh, buildings. But you know, the buildings, that uh, a lot of them are empty. You know, but it's not really uh, uh, housing a lot of people. And uh, another thing is that uh, you know, there's only uh, 10, 12 million Uyghurs in, uh, in, uh, in Xinjiang. If you said 1 million, 2 million, 3 million locked up, uh, it's, it's, it's really uh, hard to, 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 to really uh, prove on that. And actually, the, the government has actually said, uh, the white paper last year, 
all the trainees in the, in the education school has been graduated already. And the, and the Xinjiang government said again this year. So, so you know, Chinese foreign spokesman welcome foreign ambassadors and uh, uh, journalists to, to come. I, I think the best way is to read, as you said, we have more dialogue, have more uh, exchanges, and then really, uh, rather than we have a, a cross-Pacific, uh, uh, you know, uh, just talking about each other rather, rather than talking to each other. And the same thing is Hong Kong, you know, now Hong Kong is no longer uh, in chaotic situation, you know, the stock market is bad, the security is bad, multinational all come back. And, uh, you know, so, so the latest call is, 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 is safe now, uh, and the same is Capitol Hill. I mean, we should probably have the same uh, uh, criteria for people storm the Capitol Hill uh, or, or, or let's go in Hong Kong. So, uh, but we are absolutely right. I think we, we really need a lot of dialogue on that. And, uh, and uh, particularly, we, we need to welcome all the journalists on both sides uh, to, to really promote this dialogue. So, so I'm really- yeah, Just one thing, I think it'd be very important um, uh, from my point of view, you know, if a team of New York Times reporters, whatever, were allowed into Xinjiang, let them go, let them write, let them see. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, then, then we can draw independent conclusion. I think that's very, very important. Um, and from the Chinese side, anywhere you want to come in America, uh, I think you should be allowed to go, so. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's right. I think the, the, that, that could be a good idea. It, it can be open. And I think that's probably, uh, uh, open is, is really the, the great way to, to solve all those uh, questions. And, uh, uh, but you, I, I appreciate, you also mentioned about, you know, uh, at CDF, I was there when you talk uh, at, the, at, at the conference there about uh, uh, decoupling, you know, I, I think it's very hard to decouple. and. Uh, but also you mentioned the Huawei. I mean, <laughs> you were even talking that uh, maybe we, we should really uh, let a little bit of experiment going on or let them go to small states uh, to, to, to try it out. I mean, build up the trust, as you said. So yeah. it's a trust building between us. I think we should really starting uh, from uh, giving the new Biden administration to do that. I feel very strongly about that um, because uh, if we go to a tech cold war, um, uh, that will be a, not only bad for the world, I, I, I believe it'll be bad for America. If there is a Chinese tech ecosystem and an American tech ecosystem, I'm not sure the majority of the world will come to the American tech ecosystem, you know, either for financial reasons or technological reasons. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't think that's, that's a healthy thing. Look, I, I, I think the best thing in the world is, is mutual interdependence. I want China dependent on Intel chips. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm totally comfortable if America is dependent on uh, Chinese supply chains. You know what I mean? I think the more interdependent we become, uh, the more the, the politics will follow. I also believe as, you know, uh, I, I've said this before, so I'll say, you know, I've been going to China now, you know, since 1989 and, um, China is so much more open than it was 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Uh, I would say it's more closed than it was five, six years ago. But I also believe the trend line as China develops, as it builds a bigger and bigger middle class where people don't just come out of poverty, but enter the middle class. You alluded to it, Henry. How many Chinese tourists now are coming to the world? Yes. Every, tens of millions every year. So. People say to me sometimes that you say, Friedman, you said China would become more open, but in the last five, six years, it's become more closed. I say, well, who declared 
the year 2021, the end of history. Countries move at different pace, three steps forward, half step back, three steps forward, half step back. I, I, I am confident that as China develops, grows, develops a, a, a middle, a, not just out of poverty, but a middle class that wants to travel, wants to have its students you know, go everywhere in the world, that the trend line toward openness will continue. So we should have a little confidence in that too. And I think the more we're integrated, the more that that will happen. But we do have this core trust problem. And you know, one of the things I often ask myself, Henry, is what are we fighting about? Yeah. It's surely, it's surely not ideology because China is more capitalist than we are in a lot of ways, okay? Um, does China want to take over Chinatown in San Francisco? I don't think so. Does America want to occupy Shanghai or Nanjing? I don't think so. So I'm not even sure what we're fighting about. I mean, in the sense, in, in the deepest sense, yes, there's a clash of values, I get that. But um, it's not like you wanna, not like Russia, you know, we will bury you. Well, we, so obviously it's two great powers. Yeah. And anytime there are two great powers, it's who's gonna have influence where, I get that. But um, this all should be manageable, but what it does require him, it requires each of us to do something hard. Mm -hmm. That's what's very important. Yeah. It would take hard confidence building measures by China on Xinjiang or on Hong Kong, I think to have an impact in the West. It will take hard confidence building measures in the West on something like Huawei, where America says, okay, we're gonna give you a test. You can, you can install Huawei 5G in Texas, okay? And we'll see how you do. And if you do better, then you can go to Oklahoma. Or if you do well, if you behave in accordance to our laws. We each, Henry, to get each other's attention now, we each have to do something hard. Not, not easy, but, but something hard. When China does something hard on Hong Kong or Xinjiang, that will really get Americans' attention. And when we do something hard on something like Huawei, that will get China's attention. And that's something we can then build on. Right now, neither side wants to really do anything hard because for us to let Huawei in now, would that would be, that politically be hard, yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah. For China to take the kind of steps we've been talking about on Xinjiang or Hong Kong, that will be hard. But I think if we each do something hard now, that would have a huge confidence building. That would, that would be the thing that would really change the direction of the relationship right now. Yeah, I think, uh, Tom, you, uh, you know, you, you talk this uh, trust building and the confidence building, I, I think it's absolutely important. And also you, you really <laughs> uh, uh, hit the bright point that what, what, what are we fighting for? You know, what, what are the, what are the, what are the points to, to fight? I mean, the, the, the two countries are so intertwined. I mean, yeah. look at the, the U.S. actually, the, I think the U.S.-China Business Council issued a report not too long ago that the, the trade war actually could cost 0.5 of uh, GDP of U.S. and lose uh, 200, 300,000 jobs uh, just for the uh, trade war. And actually now you have uh, GM4 sells more cars in, in China probably than the United States now. I mean, all the European automobiles sells more cars in China than their own country. Um, you know, uh, Tesla become almost become the largest company in the world because that's the only company they they full production in China during the COVID last year. Yeah. And uh, so, so I, I think you know, the Walmart purchased so many goods from China, so low the inflation of, of the U.S. economy, and uh, the, the, it's so so much intertwined. And uh, 
uh, I, I really think that uh, you know Apple also it's the second largest global market for Apple uh, after U.S. So there's it's really no China, no. China. Henry, China is the second largest book market for me. You're right, absolutely. I, I, uh, I sold more copies of The World is Flat in China than any other country other than America. So uh, yeah. I, I know the benefits of, of our integration. I yes. know there are still trade issues. There are questions of fairness that are mm -hmm. very serious that we need to address. But we, we need to get away from the Alaska kind of meeting of mm -hmm. very public name calling and get mm -hmm. down to some really not hard talk, but mm -hmm. some really hard doing, where China does things that are really hard on trade, and we do things that are really hard. That's what will actually change, I think, the dynamic in the relationship. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that that's right. I think that. Uh, so I'm 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 kind of to see you know like uh, uh, President Biden comes up. He, he didn't talk about rivalry, he talked about fierce competition at the Munich Security uh, Conference summit there. And, uh, and uh, also he, uh, he, uh, he uh, uh, you know, he said he has been dialogue, you know, has been with President Xi for, for so many days together uh, uh, and so, so much understanding of each other. So they actually, there's a no, no confrontation. They don't, they don't seek confrontations. China's emphasized again, there's no confrontation, no, no conflict that they won't really have a peaceful coexistence. Well, you're on that point, Henry, you raise, it's very important that we not waste the fact that President Xi and President Biden have a personal relationship. That's yeah. very, very unusual. I was actually at the State Department lunch and got okay. to sit at a table when both of them were vice presidents uh, okay. and got to see that personal relationship. We must not waste that. Absolutely, I, I think you know the. So uh, President Biden is having this uh, uh, on Earth Day uh, next month uh, for the climate change. He invited many uh, uh, leaders to come. So we hope that President Xi uh, uh, may be uh, attending as well, and so that the, the two leaders have a chance to dialogue again. And uh, I, I think we need some momentum to really start the good, good dialogue. I, I noticed that uh, uh, Ford Foundation and quite a few U.S. foundations started the U.S.-China Scholar Exchange Program. We hope that the Fulbright Scholar Program can be resumed, and the concept of uh, Houston Chengdu can be resumed, and then we have, you know, the student uh, exchange can 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 be resumed. I, I think there's some new new things that uh, at least now that uh, the new Biden administration is is not calling CPC anymore <laughs> on a, on a daily basis. Uh, they are they are more pragmatic, and also they're not. Uh, arrest Chinese student on, on a daily basis, uh, charge everyone's espionage or a spy. So, so they, they are more pragmatic. And then uh, uh, we hope that we can really, as you said, both sides can, can do a lot of things. But I think, you know, if, if as you know, the value, uh, absolutely. So if we have a common value that for the prosperity of the world, if we really, you know, abandon some old style of, uh, you know, cold, cold mentality thinking, and then look at the fact, look at the, uh, effectiveness and efficiency. One of the things I noticed that uh, there's, there's, there's probably two consensus in China, in the US, uh, uh, two consensus now in the Congress. One is on China, uh, bipartisan on China. Another one is on the infrastructure. Uh, the US needs to renovate the infrastructure. So China's done that the best in the world now. I mean, uh, has, has the longest uh, fast train, longest network, longest metro uh, bridges, 80% of tourist bridges are built in China. Uh, and also lots of the time. So maybe US and China can collaborate. You're talking about taxes. Uh, I actually, we studied that. The inland infrastructure from taxes to import, uh, to export energy to China 
is double the cost from coast to China because there's no infrastructure in the taxes. So it's good that China and US can work on infrastructure, or maybe we can elevate uh, uh, Asian uh, Infrastructure Investment Bank, AIB to the World Infrastructure Investment Bank, invite US and, uh, and, and Japan to, to join us because the, the, there's only two countries that are still not there, all the rest of the UK and France, EU countries are there. So, so there's many things we can collaborate. And then for the next 75 years of uh, after uh, this worldwide virus war, we can have a new addition to the global governance, to, to, the, to the global uh, uh, governance, uh, new, new um, uh, mechanism that can secure the peace and security rather than, as you said, where there's no governance and everybody's fighting and then we are really at the brink of the war. And, and Graham Madison is right, you know, <laughs> we are really facing a huge, uh, uh, you know, uh, mutually assured destruction uh, that, uh, uh, that if we're not be very careful on that. So, 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 so what do you think we can prevent more uh, uh, further going down and how can we improve the relation? Uh, I think that opinion leader like you is really, uh, you know, great. I mean, you wrote the uh, op-ed, I mean, just recently in the in the New York Times and has actually uh, caused a lot of attention that uh, a lot of comments uh, there that called uh, China doesn't respect US anymore for good reason. <laughs> but uh, probably, you know, in some Chinese think like that. But but, but it's true, you know, if, if you're talking about performance at least, you know, if, if, the, if the shoe doesn't fit China well, how can China achieve all those uh, achievements? Of course, embrace globalization is one of the factors, but also 5,000 history, uh, its own logistic culture. Uh, it's also a collective society, people willing to sacrifice because of the COVID uh, for, for the individual freedom, whereas individual. So there may, maybe there's a little bit of cultural differences rather than ideological differences that we, we probably needs to be more uh, careful uh, uh, when, 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 when we see the value is too different. Yeah, look, you know, um, I, I, for me, 90% um, of US-China policy is about making America stronger. That is, that is, if we invest in our infrastructure, if we invest in our education, if we invest in our government-funded research, uh, if we um, take advantage of immigration, it's one of the great advantages we've always had over every other country, not just China, that we can attract the world's best brains to our shore, including Chinese. I'd like all your students to stay here, okay? Yes. Um, uh, that would be my plan, okay? So no. we need to get our own act together, uh, uh, Henry. And um, uh, again, I, I believe we have legitimate issues um, uh, moral, you know, uh, uh, diplomatic, uh, ethical issues uh, that uh, have informed our, our, all the tensions over Hong Kong, Xinjiang, spying, all of that. We must always raise those. We're going to raise those from our side. But also, we have got to get our act together at home. That's what I was saying in that article. We're, China has a formula for success. We had a formula for success. We've gotten away from our formula for success. And um, if, if we are the most uh, dynamic, attractive, um, compelling economy and society in the world, to me, that's the best Russia policy, the best China policy, because people will look at us and they'll say, I, I, we want more of that, okay? And um, so I'm focused 90% on, 
Um, I get criticized a lot because when I point out how well China is doing on education or infrastructure, science, uh, whatever, people say, oh, Friedman, you, you love China. Mm. Well, you know, I don't hate China. It's just, I'm actually not thinking about China. I'm thinking about America. And I'm trying to use China's success, very frankly, Henry. I'm trying to use China's success on infrastructure, on education, on science, um, on anti-poverty as a way to stimulate and challenge Americans because we did that with Russia during the Cold War. Why did we build a highway system? Because we thought we needed it for the Cold War. Why did we race to the moon? Because we thought we needed it, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the Russians. And when we lost that outside challenger, frankly, we got a little lazy at home. We got a little, you know, we, we were ready to settle uh, to be, as I said in that column, dumb as we want to be. So, you know, I, I am not at all ashamed of taking China's successes and saying to Americans, you know, they are going to be the leading and most powerful country in the world if we don't get back to our formula for success. So that is my very unapologetic strategy of pointing out where China is succeeding. And uh, I don't want China to fail. I think the world will be better if China succeeds and we succeed. And I think we will have more influence in China if we succeed, if we have the infrastructure, if we have the science, then Chinese people will say, wait a minute, America, that's what, that's what happened 40 years ago. They sent their kids to America, they saw how it was doing, and they said, we want that here. And so their kids came home from studying in America and they started to imitate us. So, you know, people being a, the best example is the most powerful human rights policy, the most powerful economic policy, the most powerful diplomatic policy. Make America the best at everything. And believe me, the world will respond. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're, you're very uh, you know, stimulating. And of course, uh, uh, always uh, com uh, compare uh, the two countries, advantage, disadvantage. But of course, you, you, you mentioned one of the core competence of the US. I think it's, it's the talent attraction from yes. over the world. You know? I mean, Biden administration probably is going to do more of that. Uh, so they probably be more uh, welcome foreign student. I mean, like uh, uh, the late. I want, all your, I want all your students. I give them all a green card. You just. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I know that. Uh, that's where uh, uh, Graham Bannison told me when he interviewed uh, uh, former Prime Minister of Singapore, Lee Kuan Yew said, you know, uh, U.S. is picking brain uh, talent from 7 billion people, where China picking from 1.3. So we have to, have to learn from, uh, from U.S. as well. I mean, to attract most U.S. students come to China. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, that really uh, increased the understanding and, uh, and the mutual uh, trust, because I think there's more public Chinese knows more about uh, U.S. Uh, we felt a bit less U.S. people knowing about China. Of course, you, you are the exception. You, you, you are so knowledgeable on China. So that's really, uh, we hope that we can have more uh, uh, dialogue uh, uh, like, like this. And uh, so, uh, so I think that, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, finally, probably we could say is that, uh, uh, you know, if, if Chinese system uh, seems working, uh, you know, why, why not, why fix it? You know, I mean, of course, we still need to improvement, absolutely. Uh, but you're absolutely right, you know, the, the U.S. and China and as, as two largest, uh, you know, countries in the world has to work together. 
but let's have a peaceful competition right? <laughs> rather than confrontation or rivalry, right? So, so, so I think, you know, how we can get into that, you know, we, we admit our, our differences, but let's, you know, build up a, a more uh, a transparent uh, uh, rules and let's uh, compete. Uh, let's, let's reform WTO. China actually, uh, you know, CCG is, is promoting China to the John TPP and Premier Li Keqiang and the President Xi has all said, we are willing to join TPP. We are positively considered that. TPP was designed by the US with higher standards of, uh, of uh, trade and practices. Yeah, let's talk about that. So rather than we're fighting with trade war and the tariff, maybe we could, uh, you know, using those multilateral forms, we have the RCEP, we have uh, CAI with your EU uh, investment treaty, lots of CBDB, but also maybe we should start this by BIT, you know, bilateral investment treaty with the US, where they almost signed during the Obama administration. So, so many things can work on, and uh, I, I really uh, appreciate your, your sharing uh, so many uh, valuable ideas. Uh, of course, you, you are the guru of the globalization. <laughs> we are a think tank of globalization. We, we love to uh, uh, strengthen this, uh, this, uh, this, this dialogue. Well, you know, Henry, again, I, I've, uh, I've visited your center so many times, and um, uh, I've always appreciated the forum uh, uh, you give me to be very frank. You know, uh, whenever I've spoken, I've spoken my mind um, uh, when I'm at your center, when I'm here, and um, I benefit from you speaking your mind, um, uh, very honestly, defending, you know, your system where you believe it needs defending. I, I, I do the same. And as I say, the, the thing that really is needed most now, and I really want to go back because this is really my message. Um, you know, you only get one chance, Henry, to make a second impression. Not a first impression, but you only get one chance to make a second impression. Yeah. And China and America, they really need to make a second impression on each other right now. Okay, um, we both need to give each other a new look, you know, a second yes. look. And I think that will only happen though, mm -hmm. um, if we each do something a little hard that people say, wow, that, that was hard for China to do. Wow, that was hard for America to do, okay. But th mm -hmm. I think if we can both get each, we need to get each other's attention again. Mm -hmm. And it's very important um, uh, and I would say this to your diplomats, some of whom I know, you know, yeah. um, uh, I, and I, I give this as friendly advice. You don't want to be seen as a bully, okay? China does not want to be seen as a bully uh, to Australia or to other countries. Nobody likes a bully. And you know how I know that, Henry? Because nobody liked America when it was a bully, <laughs> okay? Uh, you know, after the Cold War, we thought we were the, the hyperpower, okay? And we uh, could go anywhere and tell everyone to do anything. And, and when that happened, the world coalesced against us, okay? Because they thought we were kind of a big bully. And um, I think China's diplomats need to keep that in mind. Nobody likes a bully, okay? Mm -hmm. What people like is, what people really respond to is when they see you do something hard. We need to do that. China needs to do that. And then we can both have a second impression. Yeah, great. And uh, thank you, <laughs> Tom. I think that we have a, a very stimulating and, uh, and uh, in, I mean, also 
very meaningful dialogue. I really uh, think that uh, you have been the opinion leader in the US and internationally. Uh, we, we need more of this kind of frank dialogue. And uh, you're right. I mean, China you know, hasn't really uh, sent any soldiers anywhere. But, but of, of course, there's a way to be improved. I mean, also has a better way to tell that stories. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so so, so uh, I think US has also realized that. I'm, I'm, I'm also glad to, to see that the Secretary Blinken said that they are, the U.S. now is no longer aimed at top of any government now. Uh, you know, yeah. they, are, they are trying to be more, you know, peaceful uh, coexistence. So, so, you know, China and U.S. learning each other. I mean, uh, they were probably, in, you know, in maintaining global uh, stability. Well, I think what happened in Alaska, Henry, probably was a necessary throat clearing for both sides. <laughs> okay. Yes. Both sides kind of need to clear their throat. And now yes. I really hope, as a, a, Joe Biden is a good man. He's a, he's a stable president. He, he's not like Trump. He, he's a partner for serious uh, dialogue. And I'm, I'm still hopeful uh, that um, now that both sides have kind of gotten everything off their chest, yes. um, yeah. that uh, they can sit down and have the kind of dialogue that you and I are having, uh, honest, frank, and respectful, but also where we actually agree to do some things, some hard and yeah. that can actually bring the relationship where it needs to be. I, I, I heard that uh, when they close the door, it seems very uh, friendly. Yes, I heard that too, yes. <laughs> and also, I saw Mr. Furfer had the usual statement on their website, which lined up a lot of good stuff. But, but you're right, I mean, uh, you know, we need to clear our chest and, uh, and then we can really calm down and talk about uh, good stuff. And, uh, so um, uh, it's great that we have almost uh, 800,000 <laughs> viewers online, actually, and uh, uh, through several channels. We have uh, quite a few uh, uh, media, actually, uh, uh, questions from Chinese local media. So we have, a, uh, uh, first of all, we have China Radio International. And so maybe we'll take a bit of your extra time. And uh, so they said, last year, you wrote an uh, open letter to the then US President Donald Trump. Uh, stress the need for more planned response to fight against the pandemic and offer several suggestions uh, of your own. So if, if you are having an interview with Biden or you are talking to President Biden again, uh, what do you think about uh, the new proposal we can, uh, you, you, we can have to, for, for the world and also for U.S. to contain this uh, pandemic? Well, it's a very, very good and important question. Um, you know, I feel... Um, good about where America is right now, Henry. I feel like with uh, 2 million people being vaccinated a day now, basically, that by June, July, we will be over the, the worst of this. Mm -hmm. But um, we, we do need, going forward, to have an understanding, uh, a global understanding, um, uh, of how to prevent the next pandemic. Um, this pandemic, SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2, they both emerge in the interface between urbanization and wilderness areas. Basically, you know, these are, these are viruses jumping from animals in the wild um, uh, through markets uh, into urban areas. And as, as we uh, uh, expand into urban areas through our development, as China expands into wilderness areas through its development, as we expand, as Brazil deforests, we have to have a global discussion, Henry, about the interface mm -hmm. between urbanization, 
deforestation, wilderness, and wild animals. Um, and so we are not transporting viruses that really evolved in the wilderness, okay, um, through uh, deforestation and urbanization into uh, human uh, settlement areas, and then in the globalization system going everywhere. So I know China is concerned about this. It's actually taken steps uh, to ban wet markets and the sale of certain wild animals. And I think it's very important we sit down together, try to understand where the coronavirus emerged, where Ebola emerged, um, uh, and in this interface between wilderness, wild animals, and urbanization, and that we make sure globally, we have a global regime that, mm -hmm. can, that can really stop this kind of uh, transmission and, and, the, and the sale globally of, of wild animals that, that really carry these viruses. So there's a very important global discussion that needs to happen there. It has to involve China, America, African nations, Europe, et cetera. But it's very important that China and America catalyze that discussion. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I, I think you're right. I think, you know, I'm glad that uh, uh, President Biden is uh, coming back to, uh, to WHO and- uh, very after, Yeah, after President Xi pledged 2 billion uh, in supporting the COVID-19 fighting, President Biden pledged 2 billion US dollar also at the G7 summit. So we see the two leaders uh, uh, really, uh, you know, uh, concerning this uh, global thing situation, and then we should really strengthen the global uh, dialogue on that. Uh, I have another question from uh, China Daily, and uh, so he was basically saying, uh, what, "What do you think of the, uh, the the you know the role that China can play on climate change?" Of course, the uh, President Biden is having his uh, Earth Summit, and also you know what about we having a global uh, you know major countries uh, a group of discussing this, just like we had the uh, you know G20 fighting uh, financial crisis. We we really get our act together and stabilize the world economy. So. So now the U.S. is not really the uh, uh, one of the leaders on this. Actually, probably the most important uh, country, and China is one. And the U.S. are two largest emitters of the carbon. And, uh, should you know, probably we should have a closer uh, uh, collaboration mechanism rather, rather than just also the climate uh, uh, change Paris call. Because President Xi has already pledged very concrete objectives, and we have a sandstorm in Beijing again. We we really feel the pressure of that. Uh, yeah. We can do more on climate. The most important thing that the government of China can do, and the most important thing the government of America can do, and the most important thing the government of Germany can do, okay, is um, uh, with every clean technology, let's use uh, solar panels, for instance, just take one. The greatest contribution the government of China can do is to mandate. I'm making this up, but you'll get the point. Mm -hmm. Mandate that every building in China has to have so, some solar power, okay? Because the minute China does that, the price of solar panels will go down. You will drive the price of manufacturing solar panels down so a villager in Africa can have them, okay? So same in America, like let's say wind power. Offshore wind, wind in the ocean, is much more expensive than onshore wind, okay? Our job in America, US government, is to subsidize offshore wind, 
Okay, mm -hmm. so we bring the price down so everyone in the world can use it. And then we bring our standards up. So the role of government is bring the price down, but then gradually bring the standards up. So if China can cut in half the Chinese government by, by mandating that everyone has to have solar panels, you cut the price in half. And then you say every year, every house <coughs> has to add one solar panel, okay? Then you, you, you bring the price down and you bring the standards up. That's how we get scale. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not against Paris Agreement, uh, US-China dialogue, but I'm actually very focused, Henry, on the public-private partnership that creates scale. And, and governments, your government, my government, the German government, their job, <coughs> excuse me, is to drive the price down so every villager in China can afford solar or wind, and then every year raise the standard. So every year they're required to add a little more. That's how we change the climate. That's, that's um, a great idea. It's a great idea. Actually, uh, you talk about that. I think that the, the public-private <laughs> partnership is really important because uh, China is actually developing very fast on that. You know, since uh, yeah, the China's been a leader in that. You know, the largest solar producers now in the world, the largest wind, uh, windmill uh, producer in the world, and also clean, clean car, you know, energy, clean energy car now, the largest producer in the world now. So, you know, this kind of a, uh, you know, momentum, if the, if the US- really, kind of, It's really good. It, yeah. China's also the largest coal, you know, user in the world. That's and, right. And it wants to get off coal. But yeah. the way to, and the way to do that is again by just using the government's balance sheet to really make these clean technologies more and more efficient and available and then raising standards. If China's government does that, that will be a gift to the whole world, Henry. It'd be a gift yeah. to the whole world. Yeah, I think China is, uh, is really uh, uh, is, uh, working uh, towards that objective. And also China now has become the one of the biggest market now, you know, with 400 million middle class and 800 million people out of poverty. So I'm and sure people want, this, people want yeah. clean air in their cities. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, right. Also the buildings for energy saving. It's enormous uh, technology innovation there. Uh, that's why what President Biden said is the trillions of uh, new opportunities ahead. So if both China and US work together on that, we probably can provide the infrastructure of the climate change for the world. Uh, with the EU and, and many other countries, you know, that's that's really that great. Be, that would be a great gift to the world. Yeah, we have another qu question from uh, uh, Guan Cha, uh, uh, you know, uh, media from Shanghai. Actually, uh, he was asking that the the, the most recent shattered diplomacy for uh, Foreign Minister Wang Yi uh, to the Middle East has been under under spotlight. Uh, apart from the uh, uh, you know from the uh, also he meets uh, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and also. Uh, invited the uh, Palestinian and the Israel to hold a direct dialogue with China. So he said, Mr. Friedman, you had long followed the Israel-Palestinian peace process. How do you see the current situation in the Middle East and the role played uh, by China and the US probably? It's a very good question. Um, you're, the, you're the expert on that. You have Oxford <laughs> degree on, on the Middle East, yeah. So um, there would not have been a nuclear agreement with Iran mm -hmm. without China's help. Uh, China played a very important role 
um, uh, China and Russia and the European Union in, in helping us get a nuclear agreement. President Trump un unwisely, unwisely in my view, tore up that agreement. Um, but uh, he tore it up in part because Iran was being a bad actor in the region, uh, I, I would argue, a, a source of instability. Uh, not for Israel, but for Lebanon, for Iraq, for Syria. Um, and I hope that um, uh, as China gets more involved in the region, that it will do so with an eye to regional stability, not just counterbalancing America, okay? So uh, when China signs a deal with Iran, uh, to buy Iranian oil, um, is it using its leverage to get Iran back into the nuclear deal? Or is it using its leverage to counterbalance America? This is very, very Im important because um, China has an interest in stability in the region. Iran becoming a nuclear power is not good for China. China mm -hmm. does not, has never wanted to see nuclear proliferation. That's why it supported the Iran nuclear deal. And so I hope that if China is getting more involved in the Middle East, it will be on the side of uh, making the region more stable, not by um, making it easy for Iran not to be in the nuclear deal, but by getting Iran back into the nuclear deal. Again, in fairness to China, it was America, it was Trump that tore up the nuclear deal, not China. Um, uh, but I think China can be a very important source of leverage for helping us get back to the nuclear deal. And I hope it uses its, its power and energy in that direction. Mm -hmm. Great. I, I, yeah, right. Absolutely right. I think, you know, no country wants proliferation, particularly China and the U.S. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so, so, you know, China and U.S. should work together on uh, probably for the Middle East and then, you know, play a bit more active role and uh, including probably issues like North Korea and, and, uh, and for Korea Peninsula, you know, peace development as well. Absolutely totally. important. Uh, probably I have a, a last question for you, you know, from uh, uh, back to the globalization <laughs> where, where we, we started. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a question from China News Agency, uh, uh, basically saying, uh, consider the impact of a, a, a pandemic, people of different countries being isolated from each other, uh, and and many company organizations are stuck in the you know uh, in this kind of a stagnancy now. And uh, do you think it will you know really slow down the globalization, or you think globalization will have a a new new start after uh, post COVID? So <laughs> let's come back to to the globalization. Yes, very good question. Good place to end, Henry. I think we are on the verge of an incredible explosion of globalization. Because what the pandemic has done, you know, before the pandemic, McKinsey estimated about 20% of American companies had digitized, you know, their business, had, had digitized their business. After the pandemic, so many more companies have digitized their business. Look what CCG has done. You've digitized your forums, okay? Now, you and I are acting globally as individuals. Yes. More easily, more cheaply, thanks to a Chinese company, Zoom, more efficiently 
than ever. It's, it's not as good, Henry, as when I'm in your auditorium. Yeah. About 90% is good. That's right. And when, I'm, and when I'm in your auditorium, we just have the people in the auditorium. Now we have 800,000 people around China. So you see that the fact that, that the pandemic has forced us to digitize so many things is also going to allow us to globalize in so many more ways. Telemedicine, teleeducation, telebusiness. And what will come out of this is a new hybrid, a new hybrid. So next time you and I meet, maybe it'll be on Zoom, or maybe it'll be in, uh, in your office in Beijing, or maybe it'll be in your office in Beijing with Zoom, yes. okay? So I think when this is over, we will have so many more ways to globalize, but the world is gonna continue going from size large to size small, to size medium, to size small, okay? Thanks to the pandemic, it's gonna happen faster than ever. Yeah, probably the pandemic actually brings people to, uh, closer in terms of uh, technology. And it make people think how valuable when we, when we can normally interact with each other. And Henry, um, I, have, I have done more webinars yeah. that have reached more people in China this year of the pandemic been in yes. the previous 30 years, okay? Yes, yes. So we see some, uh, you know, positive side of that. I'm, I'm glad to see at, uh, at our Alaska meeting, you know, both U.S. and, and Chinese uh, government officials talking about, uh, you know, probably you know, visas or, or re relax and, uh, and also open, open the traffic. So we hope that we can uh, invite you to give a talk again at the CCG. And uh, so for, for tonight, and uh, we have almost uh, 900,000. <laughs> we'll keep increasing the, the viewers. And I think that the dialogue we had is really uh, very uh, frank, but very uh, constructive and also uh, meaningful, stimulating. And uh, so that can, we can really provide this kind of a, a better narrative, a more uh, constructive dialogue, and also uh, you know, seek the common grounds and minimize the differences. And I'm sure uh, China and the US being the two largest economy, we have the more responsibility to work together uh, you know, for climate change or a pandemic or or, or the developed countries, uh, uh, debt issues, and so many things. So it's absolutely uh, correct. And, uh, and you're, you're well, Henry, I have, I have great respect for the fact that you invite me. Uh, you let me say whatever I want. I say whatever I want. Um, I say I know hard things uh, for some, you know, Chinese officials to hear. But I think it's it's said um, out of respect and a desire to see the relationship get on a healthier track. And um, I, I appreciate your giving me this opportunity to reach your audience and to reach so many friends and, and readers in China. And um, uh, I look forward to doing it again, but I really, um, I, I respect and appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, okay, thank you very much, <laughs> Tom, for your, for your time to, to spend with us. Thank you very much. We hope to see you again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I also thank our viewers uh, uh, tonight. Thank you all very much.